Teens use Instagram to explore and connect. That's why we build features that can help teens see less sensitive content, interact in positive ways, and spend time on Instagram intentionally. And tools that help parents support them in building a safe Instagram experience. Because we're committed to building a community where everyone feels supported. Explore more than 30 tools that can help teens have a positive experience on Instagram at Instagram.com slash safety. This episode of The Sit Down is powered by Thrive Fantasy. The leaves are rustling, the temperatures are lowering, and football is here. I love gambling, I love fantasy, and I know a lot of you do too. Here at The Sit Down, we feel uh, that our subject matter and gambling go hand in hand. There's a new app out there, though, that can get you involved in not only fantasy, but gambling too. Let me introduce you to Thrive Fantasy, the newest in prop-style gambling fantasy. Right now, by going to thrivefantasy.com or downloading the app, wherever you get your apps, you can join for real cash prizes uh, in multiple different sports, whether it's football, the NBA, when that's in season, soccer, or even cricket. You can get involved now by picking fantasy-style props each week, and whoever gets the most right wins the cash prizes. They have entry fees from $5 all the way up to $10,000. Be like me. Go to Thrive Fantasy and get in the game today. Week one, they had $100,000 in prizes. And as I said, they have weekly prizes every single week. You got Monday night games. You got Thursday night games. You got Saturday games. You got Sunday games. All sorts of great contests. Now, the Jacksonville Jaguars are official sponsors of Thrive Fantasy. The LA Chargers are official sponsors of Thrive Fantasy. And so is the sit-down podcast. So be like me. And go get involved right now with Thrive Fantasy. Get the app wherever you get your app. Welcome to The Sit Down, a mafia history podcast. Here's your host, Jeff Nadu. What's up, everybody, and welcome into another edition of The Sit Down, an organized crime podcast. Hope you're having a great night. We are back with another show. Uh, and, you know, this one is going to be interesting. This is going to be a show that I know me and my co-host have talked about for a while when we were going to do it. It's obviously a interesting subject. It's one that's going to be controversial to a lot of people, uh, but it's a huge one. Today, we're going to talk about Sammy the Bull Gravano, a guy that I think we could agree is probably the most controversial figure over the last, let's say, you know, 30 years of the American mob. I mean, obviously, he was a guy that I think when you talk about the history of the mob, you have to discuss. And we've made it a point on this show to involve people that changed the landscape of the mob. And Gravano did. Now, Gravano was a gangster. No one will dispute that. Gravano was a killer. Gravano was a moneymaker. He was everything that we talk about on this show. But at the end of the day, the things that Sammy Gravano continues to echo out there, and this show is not about what Sammy's doing now. Sammy has um, his shit stuff that he's doing. He, he obviously has a, a life after his informing and, and, and going to prison for another time. Um, you know, we're not here. I don't watch his content. Um, you know, he obviously has stories. We're not here to, 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 to knock what he's doing now. This is a show about his life. We're going to talk about what we know, what we don't know 
Uh, not that we don't know anything, but we know a good amount, and we're going to talk about his life openly. Uh, let's bring in our co-host, the great Blackjack Fletcher. He's back this week. You know, Blackjack, I know you have a strong opinion on Mr. Gravano. Um, how you doing this week? Good to have you back. I'm doing great, brother. It's good to be here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think everybody has a fairly strong opinion on Sammy Gravano. Uh, obviously, he's most well known for, you know, informing on John Gotti and playing a major role in his downfall. But as you said before, the Sammy Gravano before that happens is an incredibly interesting and successful character in mafia history. Yeah, he sure is. And, you know, he has an interesting life, obviously, you know, I think here's what I'll say about Sammy's content. Now, I think you have to take it. Look, the stories are interesting. You've got to take a lot of what Sammy says, because, again, and we've we've talked about this ad nauseum with with some of these informants and, and people that write books like you're taking their word and no one really is out there backing it up that has any sort of clout, really. Like he can yeah. say something and we're just supposed to agree with it. Right. Or, or we yeah. don't. And, and the problem with Sammy's stuff and, you know, like you said, we're not here to get into what he does, but I think the biggest problem that I have with Sammy and with what he says about his life is that every single story Sammy tells, he comes off as either the brilliant mastermind or, you know, the, the genius planner or he, he, everything shows Sammy in a golden light. And there's never a hint of, you know, remorse, regret, or failure. It's always just this self-aggrandizement. Yeah, and that's something we're going to talk about. We're going to dispel this nonsense that he ratted because John was going to give him, like, all this stupid stuff. Look, at the end of the day, Sam Gravana didn't want to go to prison. Uh, Sammy Gravana had no problem making the money that he made and, and doing all the stuff that he did. But when the rubber met the road... You know, and this is a guy who who talked about how he was a gangster and this is what he did. You know, and at the end of the day, he didn't want to he didn't want to go to jail for the oath that he took. Um, we'll talk about kind of the business relationships he had with certain people and they ended up dying. Um, really, all of it. We'll talk about some of the stuff that he did, obviously, later in his life. Um, let's get into it. Um, let's talk about Sammy the Bull Gravana. Before we do that, though, I quickly want to tell you about one of our great sponsors, omertamia.com. We're talking about uh, an informant today. We, we've done that before on this show. And I know people knock me. Why do you talk about rats? Look, we got to talk about some. Okay, We're going to talk about queso. We've talked about this stuff with Joe Messina. Like there's guys you just got to talk about. But a lot of people don't like rats and we have to stop glorifying rats. And that's something that Omerta Mia lives by. They have a code of ethics that they produce clothing for. Uh, if you live by quote, a gentleman's code, um, you have to go check out omertamia.com. I have a lot of their stuff. Um, they have hats, stickers, artwork, sweatshirts, uh, t-shirts, anything you need to keep you looking fresh. Um, they've got some great logo shirts. They've got some great phrase t-shirts, really something that if you enjoy the mob culture, you enjoy the mafia history, it's something that I think you can definitely get into. If you go to omertamia.com right now and use our promo code SITDOWN20, you're going to get 20% off your entire order. Um, so go there, get yourself swagged out, get yourself a Stop Glorifying Rat shirt or the fun police informants or maybe a Capone shirt, anything. Uh, and we are, as I said, working on some shirts uh, for the sit down as well. So support the show. Go check out omertamia.com. Use promo code SITDOWN20. 
and get yourself a 20% discount off your total purchase. All right, let's get into it. Sammy Gravano. Uh, Salvatore Gravano was born March 12th, 1945 in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. As we know, Blackjack, we've talked about Bensonhurst, a real mob stronghold. Brooklyn is a mob stronghold. Bensonhurst is one of the real strongholds. Obviously, South Brooklyn, whether it was Bensonhurst, whether it was the Flatlands, whether it was Canarsie, whether it was, you know, um, really all these different places around Brooklyn, Gravesend. Brooklyn is a mob stronghold. And Sammy was somebody that grew up around mobsters. Now, it's important to understand his father, uh, Jerry, uh, was not a mobster. Um, his mother and, and, and father came over to uh, the United States, and they were from Agrigento. That's where Sammy's father was from, which is in Sicily, southern Sicily. Um, by all accounts, Sammy's father was a pretty good dad. Um, he, they weren't rich, but they were middle class. I mean, Sammy, growing up, his parents eventually would get a summer house in Long Island. His father owned a small dress company and really gave Sammy a pretty good childhood. Um, if you remember Blackjack in the Gotti film, remember... John sitting in the car and goes, why would a man of money choose our life? And I think I thought the prevailing thought with Sammy was, you know, he was a smart guy for sure. I think really on the streets and stuff. And I think the always wonder was, why did he go into this life? Because most of the people we talk about have these really tough lives growing up, they live in poverty and maybe they don't have father figures, but by all accounts, Sammy Gravano had a good childhood and a good father he's kind of like Carmine Persco in a way both of them had kind of similar uh childhoods um Sammy's dad would kind of teach him that the mob and and the guys in the suits were um bad people but he would also anchor the same sentiment that quote there are bad people so he would kind of he, he would kind of sit on the fence with the mob guys right he I think understood who they were. He obviously knew people and we'll talk about that. His father was connected. Um, He wasn't in the mob, but his father knew people in Italy. Um, He definitely had respect for those people. He wasn't one of these fathers that said, those are bad people. Stay the fuck away from those bad people. They make us look bad. Um, He almost kind of sat on the fence, Blackjack, um, with the mobsters in the neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, and that certainly goes goes some way into explaining, you know, how he winds up there. You know, he's also he grew up as a child, uh, friends with an associate of the Columbos. Uh, so it was it was around his life tangentially, you know, and, and for Sammy, a kid who who came from money, I think, you know, a lot of it as far as where he falls into can go back to his personality issues that he had. You know, I mean, he was he was not afraid to fight. Uh, that's where the nickname the bull comes from, right? Is that he he fought like a bull, um, you know? And I think that those kind of personality traits, combined with the fact that while Sammy might not have been the most book smart kid in the world, he knew how to he knew how to how to make things work for him. So I think he certainly had what we would call street smarts, and you combine that with his kind of personality as it is, and it, it lends itself more towards going down that road. The problem Sammy had was in his early adolescence, it was pretty clear he had learning disabilities. Um, He would say years later that he was dyslexic um, and he would actually get expelled after he came to school drunk at 10 years old and would punch a teacher. So he had behavioral issues. And look, back in those days, I mean, we're talking about, you know, the mid fifties, we're talking about, you know, it wasn't like now where, you know, they give you you know medication or they say you have ADHD or whatever. Right. It was a little different. Teachers would say that, 
you know, he would get bullied. And he would act out. I mean, there was one thing about Sammy, like he would defend himself. And you mentioned, you know, uh, bullies would steal his bike one time and, and he would have to fight off the, the bullies. And, you know, mob guys kind of took notice and kind of clown around and said, wow, this, this kid's tough. He's a little tough uh, bull. Um, but by 13, as we've heard time and time and time again, these guys start to kind of desert into this kind of gangster lifestyle at an early age. And Sammy would join a gang really in his early life called the Rampers, which, you know, is something that, you know, really, I think kind of shaped it because if you know anything about the Rampers, they were uh, a group that really had a lot of connections to the Colombo crime family, one of these farm team groups. Um, and, you know, while he was doing all this, he was still working for his father. He was still trying to maintain some sort of connection with his parents. Um, I think he was kind of trying to play both sides. He didn't want to be a gangster yet, but he was still trying to kind of learn from his dad. You know, actually during his, his adolescence, his father would actually be um, extorted or attempted to be extorted by the mob. Um, his father would mention that he knew people in the Sicilian mob and then he knew certain names. They would eventually back off. And Sam would kind of discuss that this is, I think, where he would learn that power and being in that life uh, awarded you something different than regular people. And, you know, again, while his father wasn't in the mob, his father was always quick to kind of, I think, use certain connections that he may have had or, or people that he may have knew uh, to get things. Um, so by 16, Sammy is, you know, in gangs. I mean, he, he's moving around with the rampers. Uh, in 1964, uh, Sammy would go into the United States Army. Uh, he would never go overseas. He wouldn't see any military um, action, but um, he would work as a cook. Uh, and he would at one point uh, get rank of corporal and get an honorable discharge after two years. So, you know, we've seen this before, kind of maybe a little bit off the reservation as far as the way you're acting and behaving. Maybe the, mo the mob isn't what you want to do initially. So you try to attempt to change your life and go into the military. Sammy tried that, Blackjack. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and listen, for Sammy, it was a little different because he was drafted, um, you know, during the Vietnam War time. As you said, he didn't go abroad, but he was drafted into into the, the U.S. Army. But again, if we look at, at his early life, Jeff, there's a pattern here, right? He's a troubled kid. He's got issues learning. He's got kind of a, a quick temper. He falls in with this group, the Rampers, and he's kind of accepted into that organization. And then... What happens next? He goes to the U.S. Army. And again, it's an organization. It's a structure. There's ranks. There are superiors. There's orders given. It, it kind of lays out the path for where he goes next. Yeah, and he would kind of return home in, in 1968 and, and kind of go right back into it's kind of the way Patero, when he went to Japan, he kind of just came back and just kind of fell right back in with people that he knew. Uh, friends of his growing up that he was in the Rampers with, Gerard Papa. Uh, and other uh, childhood friends were still involved. They started to kind of drift into that connection to organized crime. This is what these families do. Bananos did it. Columbus do it. All the five families are doing it. They had these young kids that were doing errands, committing burglaries, um, stealing things, stealing cars. Um, eventually, when they grow up, they kind of drift in, become associates, soldiers, and so on. Uh, and in that area of Bensonhurst, the modern day Colombo crime family was kind of in control of it. And look, Sammy had a lot of connections. He knew a lot of people. Um, he was friends with uh, the Spiros and they obviously had, um, you know, an uncle, uncle Shorty, a Spiro who was 
a part of the Colombo crime family. Um, and this really allowed Sammy to get kind of connected in that group initially. A lot of people don't know that before the Gambino crime family, Sammy had a long career with uh, the Colombos. Um, and look, Sammy would start getting involved with crimes. He was running all sorts of different illicit operations. Um, he had a poker game. He was loan sharking. Uh, he was doing all the farm team things and luring the mob rackets as he came up. Uh, in the early 1970s, he would first be called on, though, to commit murder. Um, and this is, I mean, keep in mind, he's 25 years old at this point. Um, and that's a pretty young age to start committing murder. Uh, he's called on to kill an individual called James Colucci. Um, and Sammy kind of just accepted it. This is part of what I have to do. Uh, I'm not going to break rank. Um, I'm asked to do this by Spiro. Uh, and this guy had to go. I guess this guy, Colucci, was trying to have an affair with, with somebody. And he would talk about Sammy years later, the feeling he had as he killed this individual. He said everything was in slow motion. I can almost feel the bullet leaving the gun and enter his uh, skull. It was strange. I didn't even hear the first shot. I didn't see any blood. His head didn't seem to move. I felt like I was a million miles away, like this was all a dream. And you kind of think of it, Blackjack, you know, when you kill somebody for the first time, obviously I've never done that. Neither of us have, but I'd have to think it's probably just like jumping into a pool, right? You just got to do it, right? Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that it is something that probably causes a great deal of consternation beforehand, but when the moment comes, you either do it or you don't. And yeah, I mean, I, the description that he gives makes some sense, right? That like, it probably does happen in slow motion because this isn't a heat of the moment killing, right? Like this is something you've thought out, you planned out, you pictured it in your head probably a hundred times. So yeah, I mean, his description makes some sense to me. Yeah. And, you know, this is something that would kind of take him up the ranks. I mean, he started to kind of get approval from higher ups, including Carmine Persico. Uh, people were starting to know who Sammy was and he was making his presence felt really in his late 20s. The problem was by the early 70s, Sammy would develop a beef with Ralph Spiro, who was um, brother to Shorty Spiro. Um, I guess Ralph kind of was this jealous guy. He started to get jealous of what Sammy was doing. Sammy was making money. Things happened with um, a, a widow of one of uh, Spiro's uh, associates. And it just kind of all got bad. Um, to avoid conflict, the hierarchy kind of just says, look, um, we like you. You're a good guy. Um, we're going to kind of almost trade you in a way, which is, was done in the mob. A lot of guys did this um, to avoid confusion. Why don't you go join the Gambino family? Um, kind of set up shop there. We're not going to make a big deal about all this. Um, it was kind of a respect move. They respected Sammy, um, but they didn't want people killed over this. And Sammy could kind of just jump ship and go join the Gambinos. Yeah, I think Sammy's rise as quickly as he did was troublesome to some people, uh, particularly, as you said, uh, Ralph Spiro wasn't a big fan of it. Uh, and so there was there was a problem brewing. And and yeah, the Columbos, I think, found... Uh, Which is weird for them. They don't usually do that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. They're kind um, of just willing to shoot each other. That's true. That's true. Usually the Columbos just descend into war without thinking twice. Um, but in this instance, I think they did the right thing. And they kept the peace with everyone by sending Gravano over to the Gambinos, which 
proved to be a, a very good move for him. Yeah, and he would go to the Gambinos and, and get connected with an individual that a lot of people will never talk about when it comes to the mob. This guy's a super old-timer, uh, a guy called Tato Arello. Tato was really a guy that goes back before Carmine, or not Carmine, Carlo Gambino. He was an old-time guy. He was from Sicily. He lived in Bensonhurst. He had a social club on Bath Avenue, I think. Um, he kind of takes a liking to Sammy. Um, kind of starts, you know, taking him under his wing, if you will. Uh, and look, he would talk years later about Tato. He talks about him all the time. Um, but Sammy would also try to maintain like a legitimate life. He went and got a construction job and he claims at one point he considered leaving the life, but I don't think that was true. He also talked about, he was, uh, in need of money because he was getting indicted randomly with different little things. Uh, and at one point he went on, quote, a robbing rampage for a year and a half. Um, so he was trying to play both sides again, where it was, I'm going to try to live a normal life, but I'm also going to connect it to the mob. Um, and this whole robbing scheme impressed Tato. And at that point, Tato kind of says, you know what? Um, we obviously need to start making people again. Um, so in 1976, Gravano is promoted um, and initiated for membership in the Gambino crime family. So, you know, through two families, Sammy really made his presence felt. He was making money. He was doing scores. He was getting a lot of respect in the hands of higher ups, whether it was Joe Colombo, whether it was Carmine Persico, whether it was Tato Arello. Uh, and Tato was really blackjack. We talk about John Gotti with Neil Della Croce or, or Wagons Fatico. Um, Arello was an old timer um, and he was Sammy's kind of mentor. Yeah, and I mean, he was his ticket into the Gambino family. And as you said, his his little rampage was impressive to Arello. And I think the reason it's impressive is because Sammy was behind the eight ball, right? I mean, he was being indicted. He didn't have money to pay his legal bills, but he didn't think about flipping. He didn't think about talking. Instead, he said, well, fuck it. I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take care of this. And I think to, to Arello, that was impressive. Yeah, and keep in mind, by 1971 as well, his uh, personal life was changing a little bit as well. Uh, Sammy would get married. Uh, he would marry uh, Deborah Shabetta. Uh, he would, you know, and he was pretty young. I mean, he was barely, he's barely 30 years old. Uh, he would eventually have two children, Karen Gravano uh, and Gerard. Um, so 1976, Sammy becomes made. He's a made member of the Gambino crime family. Um, but as things kind of start shaking out, Sammy starts doing more and more. Um, in 1977, and Sammy doesn't talk about this much, we're going to talk about it. Um, Sammy gets into a beef with uh, an individual called Aldo Candido. Candido robbed one of Sammy's businesses, uh, and he wants revenge. Um, as we've heard time and time again, Gravano and his friend Louis Melito go out looking for, for Candido, uh, and they come across a individual called Alan Kaiser, who looked like Aldo Candido. Uh, at that point, uh, they murder Alan Kaiser in cold blood. Now, uh, the problem was Alan Kaiser was 16 years old. Um, now, Sammy recently has come out and talked about this, and he tries to, you know, not really take responsibility. He tries to justify it. Um, but again, remember, this is a disgusting thing. This is a disgusting event. 
Uh, Sammy neglected to ever talk about this in any of the books that he wrote. Um, he doesn't talk about it in interviews. And the only reason he talked about it recently is because people have called him out time and time again about it. The family of Alan Kaiser has called him out. Um, you know, and look, we've seen this in mob history. Roy DeMeo did it, sadly. Um, you know, the mafia cops uh, had, you know, uh, Guido killed, uh, Nicky Guido out of sheer, that was Anthony Casso's being doing. I mean, this is not new in the mob, sadly, but it's pretty sickening that the, the quote, uh, you know, guy that talks about everything, Sammy Gravano, just casually doesn't want to talk about this that happened in 1977. Again, Jeff, it's, it's my biggest problem with Sammy going forward, you know, other than the, you know, the, the, the dislike of just ratting in general is that Sammy paints himself as almost a golden child. And it's just not the reality. I mean, it, like you said, in this instance, he cold-bloodedly kills a 16-year-old who he thought looked like someone that owed him money. I mean, it's just it, – it's it's inexcusable. It's a despicable act, and he takes no responsibility for these things, which is why I think a lot of people have the view of him that they do. Yeah, and it's, it's really repulsive, frankly. Um, you know, remember, and this is something we'll get into down the road. You know, Sammy wrote books. I mean, he's making money off this. I mean, he killed 19 people. I mean, that we know of. Did, did they see any of that money? I mean, no. I mean, he has no shame, this guy. Uh, in 1978, uh, the boss of the family, Paul Castellano, um, did uh, kill, you know, have people killed. That was something that, you know, people don't think it ever happened, but it did. Uh, and that would actually lead to a, a decision that Sam Gravano had to make. Uh, his uh, wife, Deborah, had a brother called Nick Shabetta. Uh, he was a so an associate, but the problem that Nicholas Shabetta had was he was a furious cocaine addict. He drank a ton uh, and he was homosexual. Uh, and look, Sam Gravano will claim that, you know, um, he was furious. He didn't want to kill a Shibeta. Um, Now, ultimately, he did. Uh, he killed Nick Shibeta. Uh, He was dismembered and his body was never found. The big question, Blackjack, is were there other reasons that he killed Nicholas Shibeta? Okay. And I'm going to bring this up. Okay. You and I talked about this. Okay. This is something that was from a book written by two women that were family members of an individual that Sammy would kill, Eddie Garofalo. In 1990, they would write a book called Our Father's Blood. And in that book, they would discuss that, quote, Gravano's bisexuality was common knowledge in Brooklyn. People in Bensonhurst knew, but no one talked about it. And according to the proposal that they would offer to publishers that Sam Gravano once carried on a secret relationship with a man that Garofalo's called Jack Russo. After Gravano would wed, wed Deborah Shabetta, he supposedly would learn that Nick Shabetta had admitted to her that he was gay and that he too had been involved with Jack Russo. According to Garofalo, Nick knew Gravano's secret. So, this is something that has been proposed. People have talked about this. This is something that's come out in books. Um, they would also say, according uh, to one of the writers, Sammy had always maintained that Nick was killed because his behavior was out of control and that he was a liability, i.e. his cocaine use. But the truth is he wanted him dead because Nick had threatened to out him. 
your thoughts? I mean, I, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on this. First, on some level, it makes sense, right? Like if this were true, and I'm not saying it is, but if it were true, it certainly is a motive for murder, right? I mean, if Sammy Gravano was outed at this point in his life as being gay, he would most likely be killed himself. Second of all, the only part of this that gives me pause, Jeff, is this. And I know that Nikki Scabetta was was a, a loose cannon because of the cocaine and, and the booze. But could he really be dumb enough to threaten Sammy Gravano with outing him? Like, I mean, what he he knew Sammy, obviously. He what did knew, you think was gonna happen? I mean, right, like what what would be the logic for Nikki Scabetta, who knew who Sammy was? Scabetta was you know, associated with the Gambinos. His sister is married to Sammy. He knows full well who he is. What on earth could he be thinking to out him? So that is the only thing that gives me pause. But, you know, I guess sometimes maybe an addict does things that are that are irrational. Now, again, and this is where I also draw the lines with Sammy because, like, he talks about, you know, I'm, you know, a gangster. He would say, I choose against Nikki. I took an oath that Cosa Nostra came before everything. Except at the end when you rat it on everybody. Except for that. Yeah, it's, I don't know. He picks and chooses when he was a gangster and when he wasn't, right? Um, now, again, we don't know uh, ultimately what his sexuality is, nor do I care. Um, I found that interesting. And again, you can find that book. It's called Our Father's Blood. It's written by Laura and, Laura and Karen Garofalo. Um, now, again, it's also important to remember just because someone writes something in a book does not mean it's true. Um, but I thought it was interesting nonetheless. Uh, all right. Uh, by the late 70s, early 80s, Sammy is knee deep in being a mobster. He is a stone cold earner. He is making money everywhere. He has all sorts of schemes, many in construction. And that's something that Paul emphasized. He wanted you know, more than just gambling and hijacking. He wanted construction he wanted big time money and that's where the money really started flowing in for sammy he had plumbing business he had drywall businesses he had construction he had concrete he had everything he was really bringing in tons of money he had so much money he was buying um discotheques and uh, nightclubs and uh trotting horses and just all sorts of stuff all the money he was making was flowing upwards he was in businesses with everyone uh, and he was making himself a lot of money, so much money. He was starting to uh, build large estates for his family in New Jersey. Um, he was on top of the world. He was slowly rising up in the uh, family, the Gambino crime family. Paul knew who he was. Um, and that's something that we could always say about Sammy. And we talk about this on this show. What makes you a true blue gangster and someone that people know, whether they do know or they don't know, is can you kill people? Can you earn? Are you tough? Sammy was all these things. He made a ton of money, particularly in construction. Now, down the road, his greed, um, he would start to justify by saying he killed people because he was told. I think it was a lot more to do with the fact that he was just greedy, which is something uh, we'll get into in a second. Um, eventually, obviously, Sammy was still taking on killing people for the family, uh, in 1980, as we know, uh, Philly boss Angelo Bruno was killed. Um, he was killed uh, in front of his home. Uh, the individual that killed him or set it in motion was a guy called Anthony Caponegro. Caponegro was really kind of used by the Genovese family to kind of take the fall, kill Bruno, and then he was then 
you know, down the road killed as well. Um, one of the individuals involved with this uh, that was part of Caponegro's crew was Johnny Simone, um, Johnny Keys, they called them. Uh, Gravano was given the contract, him and Louis Melito, who uh, was his best friend, would drive down to Pennsylvania. They would abduct John Simone and take him to New York. Uh, at that point, uh, they would kind of take him to like a wooded area. He would ask Gravano, can I die with my shoes off in fulfillment of a promise he made to his wife and at the hands of a made man? Gravano would comment years later that he was an admirable of Simone's so-called man's man remark uh, and calming demeanor when he was accepting his fate. Um, and I think that's something that um, you, know, you don't see much in, in the mob, at least back then, I'm sure you did a lot where these gangsters kind of, and you say what you want about John Simone and what he did in the Caponegro stuff with Bruno, but I mean, he died like a man. Um, he accepted his fate, that this was part of it. Um, and Sammy would get all sorts of praise from Castellano after killing uh, Simone uh, and that he was, quote, proud of him. That's cute that Paul, big Paul's proud of him for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, what you said about John Simone is right. I mean, that's it. it and it's in stark contrast to Sammy Gravano, right? Uh, in terms of how they accept their fate. It's almost like he was like a 10 time better gangster than you, Sammy. Uh, <laughs> I mean, kind of, right? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of sickening to think about. But yeah, um, so not only was he making tons of money, but he was still being called on for these kind of high profile uh, hits. One of the big businesses Sammy was a part of was obviously in construction. It was concrete paving. Um, we obviously know by the concrete club and, and all the different kind of things that were going on in New York at the time. I mean, if you were pouring concrete in Manhattan or in New York, um, you were dealing with the mob. And Sammy had very lucrative things that were going on uh, in that business. You know, he was making so much money with all this stuff. Um, Several months later, uh, in 1983, uh, he would be approached by a guy called Robert DiBernardo, uh, or sorry, not 1980, 1985. Uh, he'd be approached by a guy called uh, Robert DiBernardo. Um, he would inform him that uh, John Gotti wanted to meet with him. Now, at this point, Gotti was um, you know, in the family. He was kind of on the same level. He had his own crew. Um, he was running things in, in Queens, and Gravano would kind of meet up and they would kind of start talking shop and they were all kind of becoming sick of Castellano. As we know, they all kind of banded together. Frank DeChico was involved. Uh, everyone kind of got on the same page that he had to go. Um, and if we remember in the film Gotti, uh, they all kind of band together and say, you know, we're going to do this. Um, this guy's taken, you know, everything from us. Let's just get rid of them. We kind of then take over. And if we remember, I mean, Sammy was, you know, he didn't know John from when they were kids. They would meet kind of late in their lives together. So um, they kind of start putting that in motion. We're not going to go through the Castellano hit again. We've talked about that time and time again. But, um, you know, Gotti and Gravano didn't really know each other more than a matter of months uh, before Castellano was killed. Yeah, the, the relationship was a new one. And again, this is where I... I will break with Sammy's interpretation of things just because we've heard from so many other people, but you talked about the meeting with DB, Robert DiBernardo, you know, he, he, he summoned Sammy for a meeting with Gotti and Angelo Ruggiero. Gotti's not present. And, and Sammy says that he just blows up and thinks that John's a pussy and he's afraid of him. And it just, none of it makes any sense. 
ultimately, though, they do come to a meeting of the minds because, and I think, Jeff, it makes some sense because as much as we talk about Paul, you know, if you go back and listen to the, the episode we did on him as being a guy who was, you know, concerned first and foremost with running this like a like a business, I think that the concern was Paul's under indictment at the time, right? And if Paul goes away, who is he going to put in charge of this thing? It's probably going to be Tommy Bellotti, who is really in no way, shape, or form fit to run this organization. Right. So he had to go as well. Now, I think some of the inner workings of this hit are interesting because, you know, Sammy will talk all this like John talked and he was on those tapes, not me. Um, You know, keep in mind, they both agreed that John would be, quote, well-suited to be a good boss, and he convinced Gravano to give Gotti a chance, which, you know, say what you want about Gravano. He signed off on Gotti being the next boss. Um, They also, quote, made a secret pact to kill Gotti and take over the family as boss and underboss, respectively, if they were unhappy with Gotti's leadership after one year. And obviously that never happened. But they also, it was important that to make this hit happen, they needed to recruit the old school guys, right? like Joe Piney Armone, who had been around for forever. And everyone kind of was on the same page. The hit would go down, obviously, as we know, December 16th, 1985. Um, Gravano and Gotti would obviously take the podium days later. Gravano would become uh, a capo. Gotti would become boss. And the new leadership would happen. Keep in mind, as we remember, on April 13th, 1986, uh, Gotti or Gravano's boy Frank DeChico was killed when his car was bombed following a visit uh, to visit James Brown Fiala. Uh, and if we remember correctly, Gotti was supposed to be in that car, uh, but he didn't go to the meeting that day. Um, so things were kind of going down. We all know this stuff about what happened with John, but John's now the boss. Sammy is continuing to get closer and closer to him and is still acting as a murderer, but he's making tons of money. And at one point, Gravano, um, by 1987, would be uh, promoted to consigliere. Um, John eventually goes to jail, uh, and Gravano and uh, several others kind of band together to take over the leadership after Gotti uh, is sitting in MCC. Um, and Blackjack, let me ask you, with um, with DB, I want to talk about him real quick. Mm-hmm. We've talked about some of the exploits that he was in, but one thing he was also in was unions. He controlled a Teamsters local. Um, he was friendly with Gravano. Um, but this is where stuff starts to bother me about Gravano, where he starts just killing people that he's in business with or has businesses that he wants, right? And like, he'll talk about that John told him to kill these people or whatever, but eventually he would kill DB and he would talk about that. That was something John ordered him to do. But when we think about it, remember the film Gotti, he took over DB's construction businesses and the union local and the Teamsters. So he's starting to kill these people um, that have businesses with him. Yeah. And I mean, again, the, the film Gotti is accurate in, in a lot of what it puts out there including the fact that John is on tape talking to Frankie DeChico about when he is, this is the part where Sammy says that John was, John was turning on him. He was talking subversive, right? And he's questioning some of Sammy's moves. And he specifically mentions DB, 
Like, what did DB do? You know, why did DB get this? It, Sammy wanted it. So it happened. You know, and so Sammy can, after the fact, point the finger at John Gotti. But I think it's more likely that what you just said is accurate, that Sammy wanted a piece of DB's business and he had John's ear and he had his trust and he made it happen. Yeah. And, you know, days later, Joe Pruda, a member of Gravano's crew, would shoot Bernard, Di Bernardo twice in the back of the head inside of the office, which we saw in the film. Uh, Gravato later would learn that Ruggiero, uh, who was Gotti's guy, was 250000 in debt to Di Bernardo. So that could have been a part of it as well. You know, Angie Ruggiero was kind of saying, look, John, just get this fucking guy out of the way. Um, I don't want to pay him ultimately for what I owe him. Um, you know, we'll never really know, but DB uh, was killed and Sammy naturally was right there to take over uh, the union local 282. Uh, the trial that Gotti was in jail for would obviously end up in a mistrial due to a hung jury. Uh, and this is where Sammy would start to do another thing that he was famous for. Uh, and that was rigging juries. Um, they were able to compromise with an individual called Bosco Radonovich uh, and juror 11, George Pape actually, I was friends with Radonjic and he would agree to uh, for $60,000 sell his vote. Um, and that would lead to the hung jury years later. Once Gravano would testify, George Pape would actually get arrested and do three years in prison for that. Um, now, obviously once the Chico dies, the Gambinos are left without an underboss. Uh, Joe Armone fills that void uh, and Gravano replaces Joe and Gal, as I said, in 87 as consigliere. Uh, keep in mind, Frank Lacasio would eventually be promoted to underboss when Joe Ramon uh, retires. Um, during all this, Gotti is getting tons of money from Gravano. He's kicking up $2 million a year just Ooh. in his union activity. So Gravano is making tons of money. Like he's, you know, kicking up, he's doing everything that he's supposed to do. Um, but he would also say that he sensed jealousy from Gotti over the profitability of business interest. Why the fuck would John be jealous? You're kicking up to him. Yeah, it doesn't What's, make sense. That doesn't Jeff, make any sense to me. But again, Jeff, this is this is the part of Sammy's life. That, and, and it's why Sammy is who he is. And it's why he's viewed the way he's viewed, right? Like there have been plenty of guys who have ratted and don't necessarily have the negative connotation that Sammy Gravano has because it doesn't make sense. Right. And I don't know if he's just delusional enough to believe this or if he's just an abject liar. But if you think about it, what on earth would John Gotti have to be jealous about when he is sitting on his ass in a $2,000 suit collecting $2 million a year just from your union activities? That doesn't factor in anything else Sammy does or anybody else does. So why on earth would John Gotti be jealous and not view Sammy as just the golden calf? I think the better word as opposed to jealous was he was a bit worried at the fucking concern that you were just going to try to kill him probably because you were agreeing. And, and maybe there is that concern, right? Because maybe he's concerned he's going to try to kill him. Maybe he's concerned about attention he's bringing on. But jealousy doesn't seem to be the right thing. No, exactly. Now, look, again, we're not going to leave this without saying anything about Gotti. Look, some of Gotti's things that he did were stupid, like obviously having people meet him at the Raven Eye and that kind of stuff. Um, 
But again, the problem that Sammy has in everything he says about this kind of thing is, you know, years later, Gravano would flaunt his way into like writing books and, and, you know, for the guy that doesn't like the limelight and, and, and likes to be in the shadows. Sure likes it now. Yeah, exactly. So like all this stuff, he's like, it's hypocritical. And, and, and down the road, he would kind of fuck it all up um, by, you know, nonetheless doing all this stuff anyway. Uh, obviously in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, the FBI was starting to gain traction on Gotti and Gravano. By this point, uh, Gravano is the consigliere of the family. Underboss is Lacasio. Gotti, obviously the boss. Um, as we know, they bug the Ravenite Social Club and start picking up very damning conversations. Uh, on December 11, 1990, FBI and NYPD would raid the Ravenite Social Club and arrest John Gotti, Frank Lacasio, and Sammy the Bull Gravano. Gravano would plead guilty to a superseding racketeering charge. Gotti would be charged with five murders, including Paul Castellano, Tommy Bellotti, uh, Robert DiBernardo, Louis Melito, and Louis DeBona. Now, keep in mind, Louis Melito was Sammy's best friend, okay? So Sammy was killing everyone, okay? He was killing people that were in his construction businesses. Why do you think that was? Eddie Garofalo was in the construction business with him. Louis Melito was his friend. I mean, you, you look at all the guys Sammy killed. I mean, a lot of them were friends of his. Um, family. Yeah, exactly. Whether it was Nicholas Shabetta, whether it was um, Eddie Garofalo, whether it was Di Bernardo, whether it was Louis Melito. I mean, Louis was Sammy's best friend. Okay. He had been through Sammy through thick and thin and quote, a serious riff would develop when Sammy named Lou Valario captain of his old crew. Now, why would he pick another guy? This is the kind of scam artist scumbag this guy was. He had a lifelong friend that had been through hell with him. And he just passes him over and kills him. Yeah, that, but that—that's Sammy Gravano in a nutshell, Jeff. It, it's it. We're gonna get to it in a second with, about him flipping on Gotti, but it—it's just—it's the guy he is. It's just the guy he is. Yeah, and and that's kind of the the perpetration of this guy. Like he killed a lot of people connected in construction because of his greed. He wanted it all for himself. Um, he killed his friends just because. You know, all he cares about at the end of the day is himself. Now, as we know in the Gotti trial, uh, the attorneys, Bruce Cutler and Jerry Shargell, would be disqualified. Which is absurd, by the way. Absurd. Right. And they would be disqualified because of their uh, talk on wiretaps about in-house counsel. And, you know, Gotti would kind of get screwed with all that. Um, And look, the tapes were problematic for Gotti because he was talking behind Gravano's back. Now, again... John had no idea he was being taped. Um, And look, I will be the first to tell you, I'm sure we've all done it in the past. We're all, not all mobsters, but we've all talked about people, maybe that we shouldn't. Uh, Keep in mind, Gravano was pissed about that. He felt like Gotti was attempting to frame him as the main force behind the murders of DiBernardo, Melito, and DeBono, which is fucking ridiculous. Again, DiBernardo had construction connections with Sammy. Okay, he was going to take over all his businesses. Louis Melito was his best friend. Why the fuck would Sammy or Gotti care about Sammy's best friend? Remember in the jail cell, he said, yeah, you kill Louis Melito. I don't know the man. You know, like all this stuff that Gravano claims, there was sheer reason for him to kill these guys. They had either construction connections or friends of his. Yeah. Um by that time, Gravano, quote, would be disillusioned with the mob and doubtful on his chances of winning the case. 
and decides, I don't want to go to prison for the rest of my life, even though I took all the money I made from being a mobster and I killed people and I shook people down. I did all this mob stuff, but I'm going to turn state's evidence and agree to testify. And he did that on November 13th, 1991. Keep in mind, um, he would be, quote, believable to the jury. And, um, you know, he was a good witness. I think a lot of people will tell you that. Um, but he was the individual that brought Gotti down. And we all know that. Uh, keep in mind as well, after calling an eyewitness for the Sparks hit, who identified John Carniglia as one of the men who shot Bilotti, they then would bring Gavana to testify on March 2nd uh, of 1992. On the stand, Gravano would confirm Gotti's place in the structure of the family and describe in detail the conspiracy to assassinate Castellano, giving a full description of the hit and its aftermath. Gravano would eventually confess to not one, not two, not five, not 10, not 15, but 19 murders, implicating Gotti in just four of them, which could be totally not true. It's just his word for it, uh, which is crazy. Uh, he would... Uh, also be called a junkie by John Gotti while his attorney sought to discuss Sammy's past steroid, steroid use. So <clears throat> explain this to me, Bocci. You can kill 19 people and you can just identify someone that the government hates more than you who maybe told you to kill just four people and you get off and nothing happens and the other guy goes to jail forever yeah i mean let's talk about this for a second and this is really where i have a problem with the federal government and with the way they do things okay their whole thing was they wanted john Gotti. they wanted john Gotti. he's the boss he's the guy okay so you want john Gotti? you tried to get him a few times you couldn't get him you lost and they hate that they hate having egg on their face because jeff i don't have to tell you the federal government rarely loses when they bring a criminal action but they lost multiple times with John Gotti. So now you got a guy who is a 19-time confessed murderer who has been involved in rackets all over New York City, who has done all sorts of criminal activity, including fixing the juries that you lost on, and you're willing to cut a sweetheart deal with him just to get John Gotti. I ask you... All of you listening, objectively, who is the worst person? Who is the bigger threat to society, Sammy Gravano or John Gotti? I think if we're being honest with each other, the answer is clearly and unequivocally Sammy Gravano is the bigger threat to society. Keep in mind, this is also a person that killed children with uh -huh. no sort of admitting of it. He's never talked about it. Uh, on June 23rd, 1992, Judge Leo Glasser would sentence Gotti and Lacasio to life without the possibility of parole. And we know Gotti would obviously uh, surrender. Uh, Gravano, um, in 1994, a federal judge would sentence him to just five years in prison. However, Gravano had already served four years and he was amounted a sentence of less than one year. I think it was seven months he ended up having to do. Yep. Later that year, he would be released and he would enter the witness protection program uh, by the federal government and they would move him to Arizona. He would assume the name Jimmy Moran and start a swimming pool company. Um, but this is where things get interesting. Sammy Gravano gets a complete new lease on life. He can go and live openly under a new name, uh, but he can't just live like that. Like oh. Lou Epolito, 
he decides to leave the pr- program. Uh, not that Eppolito was in the program, but he would leave and just go do his own thing. He would relocate to Scottsdale, Arizona, and, quote, not like the conscience of the program. He began living openly, giving interviews. He wrote a book uh, written by Peter Moss, uh, and he would do a television interview with Diane Sawyer. Uh, he would also get plastic surgery to his face and divorce his wife in 1996. So he was... Again, this is the guy that hated the limelight, didn't like the John was all about the limelight and that quote, God, he brought us down because he was out there with the suits on. Um, but he had no problem doing it after the fact. They had no problem when he wrote a book hiring a publicist to go out and get him interviews and get him on TV as much as he could. He had no problem with it then. He would also say in the book that his um, realization that Kozanosha's code of honor was a sham and he would also hire a publicist saying that, um, you know, there were things going on. He was just kind of, you know, trying to make sure things weren't being said badly about him and that sort of thing. Uh, once the publication of his book came out, several family members of Gravano's victims would file wrongful death, $25 million lawsuits against him. Uh, and they would also, New York State, take legal action to seize his profits under the Son of Samuel. So, um, Gravano was trying to profit off of all this. Now, all the while he's trying to profit off this, he's still testifying in other trials. He would testify in the Vincent Giganti trial. I mean, he was testifying in other trials. Um, he would also do an interview with the Arizona Republic and say that he had met uh, with federal agents about becoming a government witness because his personal friends and even his they even visited in Arizona while on vacation. Gravano later said that he didn't want the Republic to publish a story, but relented after the paper allegedly threatened to reveal that his family was living with him in Phoenix. Um, so look, a lot of weird things are going on. He was almost doing things that he shouldn't be doing. He was under the auspice of the FBI. And at one point, the FBI would allege that Peter Gotti, John's brother, uh, would uh, conspire with other members of the family to, quote, murder Gravano in Arizona in 1999. So, you know, the mob still wanted Gravano. Gotti would put a $2 million bounty on his head. But Gravano was up to things while on, you know, his, quote, vacation in Arizona. He was trying yeah. to make money off his book. He was desperate. He still wanted that limelight. Yeah, he did, because the guy couldn't go away quietly. You know, this is a guy who got the ultimate fucking break from the federal government. You admit to 19 murders and God knows how many other counts of criminal acts and you get essentially seven months in a federal prison and you can't just shut up and go away. And Tells you funny, all you need to know about him. And it's funny because at one point um, he would be, uh, I think it was right when he got out of prison, like the seven months that he got right at the end. I want to say that the uh, prison system did a psychiatric test on him and they talked about he was like surely someone that would go back into crime. Like, how is this guy going to live in middle America somewhere and like have legit businesses and like kind of not go back to that? Like he has to stay in the program. He has to be part of it. He's just too high profile. He's too dangerous. Uh, and by the late 90s, uh, Gravato couldn't help himself. Um, he would partner with a yo- local gang called the Devil Dogs in Arizona after his son Gerard would become friends with the leader of the gang, Michael Papa. Uh, Gravano would start selling ecstasy through that ring uh, and at one point was selling over 30,000 tablets a week and grossing up to half a million bucks. Um, So he was not only selling drugs, but he was doing it through kids. And 
He was also getting his ex-wife involved, his daughter, Karen, his uh, son, Gerard, uh, Karen's uh, husband, uh, Damon Seabrook was also involved. Uh, and they would eventually be arrested on federal and Arizona state drug charges. He was implicated by informants in the drug ring. So eventually a young rat would just kind of rat on him. Um, the balls on this guy to basically get a get out of jail free card on 19 murders. And then you go down to Arizona, leave the fucking program and start selling ecstasy. Uh, on June 29, 2001, Sam Gravano would plead guilty in Phoenix uh, to the state charges. He would also uh, plead guilty in New York federal court to drug trafficking. Uh, and he would, uh, in late 2002, uh, be sentenced to 20 years in prison. A month later, he would also uh, be sentenced in Arizona to 19 years to run concurrently. Uh, he would serve his sentence at ADX Florence, a part of it in solitary confinement. He would actually, one of his interesting videos that he does have is he did talk about his time in ADX. Uh, it's actually kind of interesting. Um, he would talk about that he was in solitary for like months on end. Um, as part of the um, sentence as well, his son Gerard would get nine years in prison uh, and Karen and Deborah Gravano would plead guilty and get probation. They would also be ordered uh, the family to pay over $800,000 in uh, reimbursement for court costs and restitution. Um, so Sammy would go away. That was that. Um, he yeah. had been given a new lease on life, but he just could not help himself. Uh, and, you know, as usual, he goes right back into criminality. And the only thing surprising to me, Jeff, is that he didn't try to flip on his uh, son. Uh, is, wife. That's true, actually. Uh, you know, the, the shitbag that he is, I'm surprised he didn't do that, actually. It is ironic, though, that part of the reason for his imprisonment was that there were informants against him and him on tape. So a little bit of what goes around comes around. In 2015, Gravano would request to leave prison early, and that was denied for reasons citing his longstanding reputation for extreme violence. Um, and remember, this is the guy they did a deal with, by the way, uh -huh. uh, wildly enough. Uh, keep in mind, uh, he would have to uh, eventually go to state prison in Arizona. He would be scheduled for release in March 2019. However, uh, in September of 2017, Sammy Gravano would be released from prison. Uh, he has been out ever since. Uh, he is currently uh, working on a podcast and YouTube channel, which I'm sure a lot of you have seen. Uh, he's also been seen in multiple interviews. He's done interviews recently with Bette David and, and um, you know, Adam Carolla and, and all these different people. Uh, and he's out there. He's on MTV doing that stupid MTV show with his daughter. And by the way, his daughter, I mean, she loves making money off him. Like she's always doing uh, shit about, you know, uh, the, and he'll continue to keep trying to sell these dreams that, you know, he did this because John was going to get him and sell him out. Listen, Sam, at the end of the day, you were a mobster, man. This is what you signed up to do. You lived by the code. You were all about Omerta. You took all the money you got from Omerta. You got everything from Omerta. Um, and sometimes, Sammy, you've got to pay for your crimes, man. Uh, this guy decides that I don't want to pay for my crimes, and I'm just going to make up some nonsense that John was going to snitch on me. John Gotti wasn't going to snitch on you. What are you, fucking nuts? No, I think, I think we can all agree on one thing is that John Gotti wasn't a snitch. Yeah, you didn't want uh, to go to jail, and you made up some nonsense that John made you do all this stuff. John was your boss, and you know that. 
and you did what you were told. Uh, and when it, the going got tough, you used some bullshit tapes that he ruined the mob because he talked too much. Um, a lot of guys talked a lot on wire. No problem talking now. Yeah. He's got no problem talking now. And not only was John his boss, he made John his boss. He chose John to be his boss. Yeah, everything is hypocritical. Like he'll say one thing, but it's like, well, yeah, but like, why would John give a fuck about Louis Melito? Like would, you killed Louis Melito because why would John want DB to be, to be hit? Why? What, what DB was an earner. What is the rationale? Yeah. I think it was probably just the fact that you saw an opening to take over his businesses and unions and stuff like that. And you just killed him. Um, so again, yeah, he, remember, we have to remember again, who the federal government is doing deals with. Yeah, trash um, people. Sammy Gravano is a garbage person. And I have no qualms about saying that he is a trash human being. Okay. You look at what he did out in Arizona after he got this lease on life, he goes out there and he's dealing massive quantities of ecstasy involving his entire family in this crap. Okay. He is a trash human being. Okay. Now one, I, I want to talk about one other killing and this goes back to the, uh, the gay thing with the Garofalo thing. The, the individual that was killed, Eddie Garofalo was their father. Keep in mind Gravano. Once he killed Garofalo, Garofalo was a big player in the construction business and had tons of businesses with Sammy over the years. Uh, but according to him, they found themselves in a bitter dispute. So instead of talking like men, Gravano just pleasantly kills him and takes over his businesses. Um, th this whole thing about John told me to do it and I did it. Again, it's nonsense. It's him just trying to make shit up so he doesn't look like a rat. At the end of the day, he's the biggest in the history of the mob. Uh, and look, he'll take solace in the fact that he can live and do what he wants to do. And some of these goofy people on the internet that slobber on the Sammy Gravano because he was a real gangster. He's a shitbag, scumbag, fuck piece of shit. That's all he is. Really? I, look, I don't want to do this. This is not why we do this show, but it makes you sick to think about. I man. just, like, I thoroughly dislike Sammy Gravano. I do want to ask you a question though, Jeff, yeah. because I think this is, an interesting what if because we get these when we do our q a's you know what if this would have happened what if that would have happened how would things have changed what if sammy gravano never runs into trouble in the colombo family because we know that the colombos descended into 20 years of war essentially a leadership void that was massive do you think that if sammy doesn't have the problem with ralph spiro he eventually runs that that operation I don't think because by that point, Carmine, I mean, but again, Carmine Persico was in jail a lot. Um, do I think he would have become an, uh, an informant and been the same kind of, you know, underboss and all, or the concierge and everything that he'd become? Probably. I mean, he put a, would have been a higher up, I'd imagined. I think he would have had a similar trajectory with making all the money he made. But I think ultimately he would have ratted regardless. Like he is a soft dude deep down and he didn't want to go to jail. It's, it's that simple fair enough so yeah but again the colombo family was a lot less uh, it, it was a lot more there was always something going on there was never real leaders outside of persico so yeah i'm sure he would have been a higher up regardless look sammy gravano was a smart guy I mean, he made a lot of money he did a lot of things um and and for large parts of his life he was a good gangster um, but again, he did things and he did a lot of hypocritical things late and tried to justify them by um, just kind of blaming them off on other people. So 
Yeah. Um, all I'll say is take his stories with a grain of salt. As Blackjack always says, he always tries to make it look like he's the smartest gangster in the room. And, you know, he's made some comments about like just random shit that like never happened. Like, you know, he has a story that he talks about all the time with Paul Castellano and that penis pump he had. Like, yeah. there's just some weird stories that he tells. It's like, where do you come up with this shit? He also said like a lot of dumb shit lately. Like he says, Joe Watts is a rat. Like he said, like all sorts of stuff. He's always trying to like dump the things that he did off and try to like get other people to kind of say, well, they're rats too. And you know, he's just, he's hypocritical. That's all he is. He's a dirtbag, And I hope he's listening to this, which I think he is because most negative comments about this show involve positive comments about him. So I'm sure there's some fucking zips of his, that are out there saying things. I hope you're listening, you dirtbag. Yeah, he's got a lot of people that are like carrying his water. And it's like, I guess these are the people that are just like so enthralled because they know a gangster. And it's just like, like, why? Like, are you really, do you really buy into this nonsense? Like that he he did all this stuff because he was told to do it? Like, no. He's always an incredibly weak person. Exactly. Uh, look, ultimately, uh, that's Sammy Gravano for you on the show. Um, I thought we were fair. I thought we told the story of his life. Um, you know, I think I'll ask you, you know, we, we, you know, we talked about it with, you know, certain people like Carmen Galanti, like not necessarily book smart, but they were smart. Um, you know, Sammy, I think could have went into the construction business and been really good. Probably, you know, he probably. Been a huge money maker, and no, he would he never have had to go into the to the business. Well, Sammy came from money. He was a street smart guy. I think he probably could have been successful in any number of industries, but you know, ultimately, that was not the path he chose. I mean, do you, do you think that like, don't you think it's crazy that like he and and look, I think it's you know good for him. Like he has a ton of subs on, on YouTube. I think it's kind of an, an indictment on America that people like him have 600,000 YouTube subscribers and they believe his nonsense, but don't you think it's crazy that like, that's the world we're in now where like Sammy Romano has a YouTube channel. He's just like talking yeah. freely about killing people. Right. <laughs> like, it's a little odd for a guy who criticized John Gotti for being too public. It's a little odd. Right. Right. It's like, yeah, everything you say, it's like completely like hypocritical. Cause you do all the same shit. So there you go. Sammy Gravano on the show. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy the show, uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you give us five stars. Make sure you let us know what you think. Uh, Leave us a comment. Uh, And we'll be back next week with another great episode. Football is in full uh, force right now. It's a lot going on, but uh, it's great every week to get this show out there. People like the Martirana show, so I want to thank people for that. Uh, Next week, we'll be back with another great episode. Actually, next week, we're going to have a really good show. Um, we're going to get into talking about the Sopranos a little bit. We got the movie coming out. Um, I got a pretty cool show planned for that blackjack. So it's not necessarily going to be a biography, but we're going to talk a little bit about the real people behind the Sopranos. Um, some of the storylines and the basis of the real people for those. Uh, we're going to get a, a super fan on of the show that um, was recently on with Maltesante and, and Bobby Bacala on their show. Um, and we'll talk about the film. Like, what do we think is going to happen? What, what are we looking forward to? So just kind of a Sopranos episode with the uh, film coming out on October 1st. So that sounds pretty fun, Blackjack. Get into a little movie uh, TV show talk. Oh, yeah, dude. Looking forward to it. So we'll do that next week here on The Sit Down. As always, follow us on Twitter at The Sit Down 7. We hope you have a good week. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week here on The Sit Down.